0: Oresti Patricios co-founded Ornico Group in 1984, aka the year I was born. The moment of silence was just to let that sink in. Now, while incredibly disruptive in its time, the video reel production business Oresti operated back then is a far cry from the media conglomerate he runs today. Ornico Group has made a solid name for itself in Africa's leading markets, boasting a client list which includes the likes of MultiChoice, Old Mutual, and Woolworths. In this conversation, Oresti shares on the influences that shaped his success and explains how understanding that business is all about people has helped him pick the right partnerships over the years. This is African Tech Conversations. I wonder what it feels like and whether, thinking back to your youth, your younger self at about seven, eight, nine, could have imagined life would look like this for you at all?
1: At that age, I didn't think that life would look like this. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I didn't know w- what I really wanted. I think that probably the thing I really wanted was maybe being a policeman or a or a fireman, I think like all kids too. I'm not 100% sure, but I suspect that's what I probably wanted. But there was no ways that I thought that um, that that's what I was going to do my father owned a cafe. Maybe I would have thought that I would own a cafe. I'm not 100% sure at that point in time.
0: Your Greek heritage meant that you grew up around a lot of entrepreneurship of, of many different sorts. I wonder how much of that heritage informs your being an entrepreneur today.
1: My dad was an entrepreneur. His father also had a cafe. I mean, his two brothers had a cafe and then afterwards opened up a very successful tire, a retreading company. So yeah, a lot of my uncles were also entrepreneurs. I mean, I grew up in Cyril Dean, which was predominantly Jewish in the, in the 60s and, uh, and 70s. And even though I went to a, a government school, which was Cyril Dean Primary at the time, one of the things I found out, you know, when we're sitting around the table with Greeks, we don't talk business. Actually, we talk politics. Politics does nothing. One of the interesting things is, because I was invited to many of the Jewish homes, was at those Jewish homes, I sp- spoke about business. I think I learned a lot sitting around Jewish homes and speaking about business. And at that very, very young age, I didn't realize that I was getting so educated about business. And I really think that helped me quite a lot, I must be honest.
0: I actually have some Jewish friends, and sometimes they candour takes me by surprise in that regard, you know. Um a lot of other cultures seem to be quite guarded. Considering talking about money and business, you know, almost taboo. And it's interesting that um you would have benefited in that way and end up on the road alongside Investic and people like Blue Label and stuff.
1: No, absolutely. And I think it was a... I mean, that kind of education you can't get anywhere. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of the guys were professionals. And, and looking back a lot of the times, I think being the businessman I am, I think looking at that, I say, I think that definitely really made a difference to to my headspace. And and I must say, I do that with my kids as well now because that's what I learned as a kid. We didn't find it in our homes because we were just talking politics mostly. And so I bring business into it in terms of my family. And it seems to have worked. My daughter's uh, opening up her own business my son is also an entrepreneur. He's still studying though, but he does his own thing.
0: So maybe I
1: suspect it
0: did help. And tell me a little bit about growing up in an entrepreneurial family what sort of pressure if any do you experience in that background I speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs who unlike you are sort of first or second generation professional there seems to be a lot of pressure in their upbringing what sort of pressures if any were in your household
1: I mean there wasn't really a lot of a lot of pressure at school there was my mom you didn't get great marks uh, my mom was on but by the time I got to university uh, really my parents were kind of they were really relaxed. It was my life. It's, and, and I think that taught me because I, I do the same with my children, which is really amazing because my son started off doing a big com. Halfway through his BCom, he decides, hey, that's not what he wants to do, he wants to go and do music. And I was kind of relaxed about it, you know. I did tell him that he can be a bad accountant and make lots of money and be a brilliant musician and make no money. I mean, the, the reality is it's his, uh, it's his life. I'm doing what I really love and I, and I enjoy. So I think I do well because it's more hobby than a job. So I looked at it from my kid's perspective and say, you know, they must do what they need to do. And I think because of the fact that we talk, I, I'm not sure that we had that, that that amount of pressure from our from our parents.
0: So deciding to pursue a become with it, which I think you you, you did, uh, become in accounting. I did a become in an accounting, and
1: I think I was about. Uh, st- Those days are called Standard 9, it's now called Grade 11. I was sitting and studying at the time. Also, some of the background, my dad had the cafe down in uh, Corner, Commissioner and Sour. it was called those days. And the JSE was around that area. And the interesting thing is a lot of the JSE guys used to come to the cafe and and, i I thought, when I was in state of nine, I was thinking, what am I going to do? Because we needed to make a decision and apply to universities. And I thought, geez, I think a stockbroker, these guys make a lot of money. But, I mean, I ended up going to university. I did a BCom. And the year that I started the BCom, I thought, no, absolutely. I'd rather be an auditor than a stockbroker. I ended up completing my BCom, going on to do my honours. And I failed one subject. And I... Never really pursued it after that.
0: In terms of, I mean, it interests me because you, you are entrepreneurial through and through. Um, studying, I would think, might frustrate that mindset. Or is this a function of you getting skills you knew you needed to complement things that you had intuitively?
1: At that point in time, no. But let me tell you something. I think the best thing I ever did, and that's why I tell my kids, I mean, my, my daughter did do a BCom, but that's why I did tell my kids, you can do whatever you want. If you've got a BCom and you understand financials and you understand money and you understand how that money flows it's so much easier to kind of run a business i don't do the accounts here but at least i have an understanding when the guys present me with budgets and financials and the rest of it and i understand it And i think the best thing i ever did was do that BCom. so unfortunately business runs on money if, you, if you're if you not earning the cash and you're not and understanding the difference between cla- cash flows, etc., that's critical. And I think I learned quite a lot of that out of doing the
0: BCom. Your dad went from owning a cafe to, was it a chain of laundromats or, or dry cleaners or something like that? And that didn't work out. Yeah, so
1: it, w- what actually happened is that they were going to take that building down. So he moved out of the, the cafe, started a uh, laundromat with his partner. His partner then moved in. They just couldn't get on. They sold that but because my dad had the experience of a dry cleaners one of the big financiers came and said listen why don't we start a chain of dry cleaners which I ultimately did and he opened up a chain of dry cleaners which really 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 went well for a while and then he went insolvent when i was 16 years old the emotion from my dad the day he went insolvent uh was she like pulling my heart out it was horrible to see you know my dad who's this pillar of strength and and the rest of it just breaking down because of
0: him going insolvent. One might think an experience like that would discourage a 16-year-old from any thoughts of doing something of their own in terms of being an entrepreneur. What did that do to you in terms of what you thought running a business would be like and deciding whether or not you do something of your own one day?
1: One of the things I do is I critically analyze everything. I never really thought I'd ever work for a boss. Um, obviously, while I was at university trying to make extra spare casher worked as a waiter worked as a matredi I did all the rest of it that that a lot of other students ultimately do but I could never see myself working as a boss but while I was doing my bcom and specifically near the the, the final years it, it started kind of dawning on me what do I do different not to get into the same position as my dad ultimately did so it was a great learning curve for me because you know, while I was doing my mba one of the things they kept saying it's okay to fail but just fail fast and the fail fast thing is about just learn what you've done and just correct it the next time so my dad Having that issue just kind of taught me that we need to get proper structures, proper reporting structures, uh, proper systems in, in, in place. But also getting, very, very critically, getting the right people in place. If you don't have the right people, hey, no matter what system you have in place, the system falls apart. The system depends on the people.
0: Basically, everything in Greece as a country needs to get right. <laughs> what is it about Greece as a country is failing to get right that Greeks in the diaspora seem to be thriving at in Greece, they don't stick to any rules. It's a kind of society that you're not allowed to smoke
1: in a restaurant, and yet everybody just smokes. They don't care. And, and the reality is the, the, the laws in Greece, it just almost prevents you from actually starting a small business. There's no structure. Um, and yet anything that, that, that needs to be done is so laborious, and you might as well not ultimately do it. And my, and my daughter's in Greece currently at starting her own business. So I understand it firsthand in terms of how difficult it is. It's starting to become more and more difficult in South Africa too, I, I, I might say. But a lot of the times, I mean, if you look at the Greeks specifically in the UK, in the US, in Canada, in Australia, the guys have done exceptionally well and in and in South Africa. And I think it's a bit of both, in a, a bit that we kind of have got that little bit of a rebellious streak in us but also the fact that the laws of the country puts, a, puts us into a bit of a structure so you have that rebellious streak to say I want to do better than Joe Blogs at the bottom there and let me see how I'm going to do it differently but I need to stick within these parameters so it's a really a good thing to be able to kind of stick within those parameters.
0: What do you consider yourself first South African or, or Greek?
1: A lot of people actually ask me that question, but I do consider myself as South African. I'm third-generation South African. I understand the South African culture a lot more than I understand the, the, the Greek culture.
0: Why do you think people ask it so often? Should it be obvious? Why do you think people ask the question?
1: No, I don't know why people ask the question. I, I suppose because I do speak about... I, I do have this Greek heritage. I have a Greek name immediately, Oresti Patricios. I mean, sure, where does that come from? So it's, a, it's, it's an opener immediately when they say, who are you, Oresti Patricius, Where is that from? Greece. So automatically they think being Greece, Greek and my first generation, second generation, what is, what is it? So, I mean, I, th- I think it's a great conversation opener at the end of the day. I think some people get really, really frustrated when I tell them that I'll su- if Bafana and, and Greece are paying together that I would support Bafana. But I would. I'm South African, so I need to, I've got my business here. I grew up here. My kids grew up here. We've done schooling together. I'm passionately, passionately, passionately African.
0: Let's fast forward a little bit to where we are now. For anybody who doesn't, who is not aware of of Ornico uh, and its footprint across the continent. Please tell us a little bit about the group.
1: So Ornico Group, it's a it's a bit of a misnomer now because really the only company within the group now is Ornico. Even even in terms of the acquisition of... of, of of Fuseware, we didn't keep it as a separate company. We've sucked it into Ornico as a product. It's a lot easier from an accounting perspective, and that's why we've done it, but also we've either closed some of the businesses down or disposed of the businesses kind of going forward. The the only thing that we do have within the group, then, is the the Africa businesses. So in Ghana, we own the Ornico, Ornico Ghana 51% and Nigeria Kenya 100% and then we've got associations with the other 10 11 countries around uh, around Africa th- those are the big markets you know we've got our own software in we've got our methodologies in there and we want to try and harmonize the data across across specifically those big th- those big regions
0: you made reference now to fuseway which is Mike a uh, startup which you you recently acquired and mike is part of your team correct Yeah, Mark's Mark's part of the team.
1: I think that was part of the acquisition. I mean, I'm involved in other businesses that I own shares in, sometimes in my own personal capacity. Of course, it is about the tech, but the tech is a small part of it. It's really about the people behind the tech. If if I really believe in the people, well, that's what it is. You know what I mean? I'd rather invest in a company that has got above average tech, but amazing, amazing, amazing people rather than have amazing tech and absolutely terrible people.
0: Tell us a little bit about the tech and, and what it is. Ornico actually does. Who are your clients and who are your fans?
1: I think one of the things that we're really, really good at is being able to cover insights and give insights across across all um, avenues where the, the consumer touches the brand. So across advertising, across editorial content and PR, across uh, social media. So wherever that media space is that the consumer touches, we can, we, we, we can kind of handle it. And that's what makes us different. Across TV, radio, outdoor, print, mobile, direct marketing, uh, online, etc.
0: FuseWare fitting very nicely into that portfolio in terms of social uh, insights and that kind of thing.
1: Absolutely. Before FuseWare, we had uh, a social media tool called Crimson Hexagon, which is an amazing tool from Harvard. But what makes us different is we have our own proprietary s- software. A lot of our competitors actually utilize th- their own front end, but it's always somebody else's back end. We don't want to do that. We want to actually create our own s- our own niche and our own space. As I said earlier, in terms of that, my Uh, the talk that we're having um, is that you need to be different. So continuously, I want to try and be in my own space and not be able to compete with other people. So how do I
0: keep creating my own category? When you first launched, uh, many people considered uh, what you did uh, as a company quite disruptive to the status quo. What was the status quo? What were you disrupting?
1: Okay, so we, we were the disruptors. And the only reason why we were the disruptors in 1984 was that we didn't really know anything better. So so what happened is that guys that were taking two weeks to deliver a, a competitive reel, which was a, competi- a TV ads of competitors, We used to take two to three hours to produce at at, at half the cost. So so we disrupted that industry, even though it was still a manual industry. There was no real tech kind of involved. But what we ultimately did is we produced something quicker, cheaper. It was one of the things, and higher quality. In fact, because uh, I came out of a wedding background, a wedding video background, um, our quality was of a much, uh, a much more superior standard than our, than our competitors. Who's going to disrupt us now? Th- that's one of the things that keeps us awake at night. At the end of the day, you know, what is it? And, uh, and and I think it could be tech and some young, young company. So
0: keep our ears and ours opened. I know we don't have a lot of time with you, and I have to thank you for the time you have given us. What do you make of the startup scene which um, trend in the startup scene are you excited about on a personal level at a business level okay, I'm excited about a lot of stuff
1: we're looking at moving into joburg City Center. I was at uh, social media Week last year and I saw some amazing young startups and one of the things i'm as my legacy that i'd love to leave is when we move into the into the new premises is able to be able to put capital together with venture because i I really see some of these amazing amazing uh, uh, amazing businesses and i think if i can do that and have 10 15 startups that actually really really change this digital this digital space would be absolutely amazing and that's would be my legacy at the end of the day
0: is that almost a venture capitalist player here in the making
1: no, I don't know if I would do it, but I want to try and match venture capitalists with, with startups at the end. of the day. And yes, I, I may get involved in some companies, which I do anyway now. But I mean, I don't have those hundreds of millions that some of the other private equity firms ultimately have.
0: There's not a lot of information around acquisitions of startups on the continent. We know when it's happening or takeovers or certainly acquisitions, but we never hear the details. Why do you think that is? I mean, America, Silicon Valley is huge on telling us. What was on the table? What packages were involved in keeping the talent on board? Was it an outright purchase? Maybe you have some insight in terms of why those details are kept uh, from the public.
1: I think our market is small. If you're giving up too much information, you're just kind of worried that, that, that there's, there's going to be that much more competition within your space. I also think as a society we're really scared to talk about money. Uh, the Americans don't have an issue. Yeah, Even in terms of how, to, how did the LSMs come about it was because you couldn't actually ask people how much they earned. So we kind of, within an industry, created a, a formula to be able to judge people more or less how much they earn by putting them into a slot. Not great, but this is the only way you can do it. So I think it's, we as a society don't want to talk about money. And I think that's probably the issue.
0: Is there a question you wish I'd asked that I didn't? What makes a successful marriage? Now, we were having this discussion offline before this conversation began. I've really learned a thing or two, but let me, let me just humor you at this stage. What do you think makes a successful marriage? Well... <laughs> Having an amazing wife,
1: I think there's a couple of things. Number one, we need to grow together. It doesn't have to be in the same direction, but you need to grow together at the end of the day. So I might be doing my MBA, uh, my wife might be doing something else, but at least kind of mentally also keeps them keeps stimulated. I think it's kind of understanding each other. Trust is an absolutely Absolutely huge thing, and I think, as I said to you earlier, my wife allowing me still to be an
0: eighteen-year-old. Uh, it's interesting to me that you would highlight this at the end of an interview. It says something about what you consider to be one of the most important aspects of, of what's contributed to the success you enjoy as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, etc.
1: Yeah, I, in fact, my wife was my girlfriend when I started this business. I started in seventy-eight. I met I met Christina when we were in about seventy-nine. She she went through this business up and down. They, they say behind every successful man is a woman and there's no doubt that my wife and, and, and my children in the later lives have made a huge difference to, to my thinking they question me in many ways um, they, make, they, they kind of streamline a lot of my thinking so absolutely and my family are hugely important to me
0: Oresti Patricios, thank you so much for speaking to us this, this, this morning
1: thank you very much it's been absolutely amazing thank you thank you for listening to African Tech Conversations